This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Moranalytics Podcast. Today is Thursday, April 5th, and I still got no cool catchphrase for you. I do, however... Have another future award-winning episode coming down the pike today. I'm joined by Los Angeles Chargers starting right tackle Joe Barksdale. It's a conversation that's in large part serious, as it should be. Joe, an eight-year NFL veteran, has suffered from chronic depression for almost 20 years to the point he's even contemplated committing suicide. We touch on that without me invading his personal space too much and why he decided that now is the time for him to become an advocate for mental health support. So we talk about that. We also talk about his musical career he's got going now. We discuss his debut album and I'm going to play a track for you guys from that album. One I really like a lot. We wind down our interview with a little football talk and I bitch to his ass about the LA Chargers beating the shit out of the Buffalo Bills last year. And they ruined Nate Peterman's career in his first start. After that, I'm joined for a second consecutive Thursday by ABC7, Fox 22 sports director in Maine, John Alba. John becomes the first recurring guest in the history of the Moran Analytics podcast. Congratulations to him on that. <laughs> he was so good last week. I wanted to bring him back and get his insights and predictions on WrestleMania 34, which airs this Sunday night. He's got some good observations. Always does. So that's a fun interview. And we'll get to that soon. Look, honestly speaking, I didn't know what to expect when I talked to Joe Barksdale. I knew of him because I follow football and the NFL closely. But I didn't know the first thing about Joe Barksdale as a person. This interview was set up because Joe recently released a debut album. I had no idea he was even a musician. And one of his people contacted me about possibly me promoting his record on my podcast and having him on for an interview. And I know what you're thinking. I'm like, well, what the fuck they bothering with you for? Why do they want you to have him on your show? Who the hell are you? I don't know, man. I say the same shit sometimes, but whatever. I heard a few of the tracks. I liked it. I said, you know what? It will be fun to have this guy on and talk about music. It wasn't until I started to do some research on Joe Barksdale for this interview that I found out just how complex of a man this guy is. This is a man that for the past 20 years has been suffering from severe depression, chronic depression. 
I mean, that's some serious shit right there. Serious to the point that he's admitted, he's openly admitted to having thoughts of suicide. Fans see a guy like this, and nine times out of ten, they either see a great offensive tackle or shitty offensive tackle, depending on what your perspective of the player is. I don't know. But but these guys are so much more than that. These guys are all human, man, just like us, just like our families. This is a guy who went on record and said as a kid that he was physically, emotionally, and sexually abused. That's got to be such a hard thing to come to grips with, let alone an impossibly hard thing to have to endure as a child. Despite his success and the wealth that comes with it, Joe hasn't had an easy life. Living with chronic depression, it's got to be so much harder than I can imagine. He's on medication and therapy to help him get through the day and continue to improve and get better. Joe just recently decided to break his silence and he made the very brave and very courageous decision to take his issues to the public. I'll tell you right now, he has a hell of a lot more balls than I do. So why does a guy making millions who as an NFL player has his life under the microscope go public? He he felt like it was time where he could use his platform as an NFL player to help educate and bring awareness and offer support to others who are suffering out there from mental health. So I admire him for that. Music has done a lot to help Joe through very tough times. We talk about that a little bit. And I play a track, like I said, I play a track during this interview. I really like it. It's called Journey to Nowhere. It's a song with a really cool, smooth beat, but it has a very serious message in it. And by the way, it was written by his wife. His wife wrote the lyrics and Joe put the musical arrangement together. It's a great track. Wait till you guys hear this. I probably spent more time talking to Joe after the tape was done rolling. And I'm telling you, he's one of the most genuine athletes I've ever met. Seriously, he is. I could have talked to him for another three hours. In fact, I wish I would have kept the tape rolling to be completely honest with you. And he would have kept talking. I'm really glad I got a chance to meet him and talk to him and do this interview. I really am. I do have to warn you guys though. Some of this audio is pretty damn shitty. Joe had a bad connection with his cell phone and there were a handful of times where his voice drops off and it sounds a little bit muddy. But you know what? This was way too good of an interview and in my opinion anyway, too important of an interview to not air. So please, just bear with the less than perfect audio. Okay, instead of me rambling on, Here's that interview with Joe Barksdale, followed by my WrestleMania preview with my main wrestling guy, John Elba. My guest today is Los Angeles Chargers starting right tackle, Joe Barksdale. More importantly, Joe's become a very vocal advocate for mental health, having suffered through depression most of his own life, and recently deciding to document it publicly. He's also turned to music, putting out a kick-ass blues album called Butterflies, Rainbows, and Moonbeams. Thanks for popping on, Joe. How are you doing today? 
Oh, I'm doing good, man. I'm doing a lot better with those kind of words. Thank you. <laughs> oh, you're <laughs> welcome, man. You deserve it. Well, we'll get to the fun stuff in a few. But first, as I said at the top here, you quietly suffered for nearly two decades before finally making public your daily struggles with depression that at some mm-hmm. point even led to thoughts of suicide. What made you decide that this was the time and this was the platform for you that needed to be taken public after all these years? Um, I guess more than anything, it was just me coming to terms with the fact that, you know, I had, you know, the problem. Um, I think at the end of the day, you know, in order to, you know, in order to really, you know, talk about an injury or an issue, you know, you first have to acknowledge that it's going on. I think that, you know, took me longer than, you know, I would have liked, I guess, looking back in hindsight to realize what was actually going on. And, um, you know, I, I, I just, I wanted to help other people, you know, that, um, you know, people that are going through it as well as people that don't know that they're going through it. Um, and just wanted to start the, uh, you know, start the conversation about it because it's something that's important to me. And I'm pretty sure it's something that's important to a lot of people. Oh, millions. No question about it. It's gotta be hard for, for someone like you. Well, let me, let me backtrack there. It's gotta be hard for anyone who suffers from depression and other mental health issues. It has to be even harder when it's a guy like yourself, you know, somebody who's a successful NFL player, because I feel like people perceive football players as superstars and superheroes and unbreakable and invincible. Do you know what I mean? So for someone like you, you know, who's, who's made it, who's done something that, you know, millions of kids dream about. It's gotta be hard to uh, be able to, to come forward and say, you know what, man, I'm human. I'm not perfect. I have problems just like you and just like everyone else. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, like you just touched on it, you know, at the end of the day, we're all human beings. Um, and how can I put this? Yeah. At the end of the day, we're all human beings. And I know that people only see a certain side of uh football, a certain side of sports or a certain side of anything. You know, we all have things that we do in private and so forth. And I think that, um, you know, if nothing else, I know that that has helped kind of, uh, sh- you know, uh, lift the veil, so to speak, when it comes to, um, you know, those kinds of professions and so forth. Because um, I think sometimes people do need to be reminded that, you know, football players are human. They have, you know, kids, wives, families, you know, they, they get nervous about certain things. You know, they're, we're regular people like everybody else except for me because I'm from another planet. But the rest of these people are regular people. <laughs> exactly, except except for you. you know, it's one thing for you to, to come to grips, you know, that, that you're not perfect and that, and that you suffer from depression and have even had thoughts of suicide and stuff like that. It's one thing to come to grips with it, but you're using your platform. You've become an advocate for the cause. You know, I've seen that you've yeah. started to win, pick up awards for that. You know, you're getting recognized for that. How important is it for you to show that support for others in their recovery? Because I feel like for a guy like you, someone who's in the NFL, someone who has some sort of celebrity to be able to use their platform to help other people, it just helps even more. Yeah, I think that's what it's all about at the end of the day. And if you look at just my life in general, that's that's what my life is really based on, is just helping people. My aunt, I call her Gaga. Um, she instilled that in me early, you know, my first uh, real community service event I did with her. Um, and you know, she was, 
you know, she's always to this day, she's probably helping somebody right now. But, um, you know, she's always helping people and she's always uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, giving back and not expecting anything from it. I know a lot of people, you know, talk about paying it forward and so forth. And I think that sometimes it's cool just to do things, you know, because it's cool to be a nice person, you know? Sure. So, you know, I'll tell you what, I'm going to leave that part of your life there for now. I don't want to dig into every little personal detail of your struggles. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. fascinating stuff and it's important for people to know. And there's plenty of varying revealing articles that I've seen recently with your story out there, including a fantastic Mm -hmm. one I read in the LA times. But anyway, that's, that's not why I wanted you to have you on the podcast today. I want to talk a little bit of football and also I want to talk about your music career. And yes, everyone listening, I did say music. Back in 2013, you were with the Rams, and I read it was mm-hmm. Jeff Fisher that first encouraged you to start playing the guitar. How and why did mm-hmm. that come about? I had a really significant death in my life. Uh, man, that was pretty much my dad. His name is Charleston Fives. Um, he, um, I mean, he's pretty much responsible for everything as far as football is concerned. Uh, I didn't start playing football um, until I was, what, 14. And he, you know, saw something in me that I obviously didn't see in myself. Uh, three years later, I was a bright All-American and had, you know, my selection of whatever college I wanted to go to. We'll get into and, that. You know, he, hmm? <laughs> We're going to get into that in a minute because I got oh, okay. a beef with you over that. And, but. <laughs> and he pretty much stayed with me and, you know, encouraged me because, you, you know, as you can imagine, when you do have depression, you don't really think that highly of yourself. So, you know, whenever I would get nervous the night before a game or something, I could call him. And, you know, he helped me pick out my agent. Um, I mean, he's helped me. He was my business manager and, uh, he died the week, uh, the week of my first start at right tackle. Uh, terrible. Um, and, you know, Jeff could tell that, you know, I was hurting. Um, I tried to, you know, I fought through it for the team, obviously. But, um, you know, he, you know, he came and he talked to me at the end of the season, and, you know, said, when you're done, you know, meet with your coaches, come up and see me and ask me what I was doing for the off season. And, uh, you know, I told him I didn't know. I was, you know, still trying to figure things out. I was still raw. And he suggested that I, um, you know, look into the guitar. And I did. Yeah, and I mean, it's one thing to take up the guitar. Lots of people play the guitar as a hobby, but this was a challenge that you would go on to take very seriously. I wouldn't call it a challenge. It, um, I've always, I've always admired musicians and, um, you know, I think, you know, people say you find something that you love and you'll never work a day in your life. And I feel like that's what it is with the guitar. Even as we talk, I'm holding the guitar, but, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I am really glad I picked the guitar. It was between the guitar and the piano and I chose the guitar and I feel like I chose right. I love the tracks. And, yeah. I'm sorry. I don't mean to cut you off there. Go ahead. Oh, no, no, no. That was it. All right. No, was, that was all I had. All right. I love the tracks that I've heard on this album. In particular, I love Journey to Nowhere. So what I want to do right now is I'm going to play that track for our listeners in its entirety and then we'll come right back and discuss it. Okay.
Man, I love that song. Love everything about it. Tell me more about that song. What was your inspiration? How, how did that song come about? My wife actually wrote the words and I arranged the music. Really? Um, yeah, she was the first person I opened up to about just how I felt, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Um, and, you know, after the conversation, you know, I kind of, you know, fell asleep, went to bed. And, I mean, you can imagine, you know, uh, when your husband tells you those kinds of things, you know, you're worried, concerned. And um, she stayed up and wrote the words to that song. And that was the first song that we, uh, that was the first song, you know, on that album that I had together. That's amazing. And this album ranges all different types of genres of music. You're talking blues, got, goes to soul, some like contemporary jazz feel, and even like alternative rock. You could definitely feel that Jimi Hendrix influence in your music. I'm pretty sure I don't need to ask this, but I'm assuming that Jimi Hendrix is a major influence on you musically. Oh, I love Hendrix. I, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's probably, I can't even say anything else besides that. I mean, I, I love Hendrix and, uh, you know, he's my, he's my guitar hero. Second favorite guitar player is Dwayne Allman. And, um, I'm really just trying to, you know, take the music in a, uh, you know, in a different direction. You hear so much of the same thing these days when it comes from new artists and so forth. And I think that, you know, well, I know that we need to get back to making real organic music. And that's what I'm here for. God, yes. You know, you, you bring up a great point. I was just talking about this with my wife recently. I, I like pop music. I always will. But you know what? I like, I feel like I'm discovering music now. Blues, jazz music, stuff like that, that I had never really listened to before. So now I go to clubs or I, or I pick up albums or I hear things on the radio or the internet I don't know a word to them or I don't know a, a guitar riff to them, but I'm really starting to expand my horizons musically and I'm really <laughs> starting to enjoy music as a whole more. And it's music like you're making that, that does it for me. What are a couple more like besides Jimi Hendrix? You got a couple more like musical influences that m- may have went into the making this album. Musical influence. Well, I, I mentioned the, uh, the Almond brothers band and mm-hmm. to be honest with you, I, I will start by saying I have not heard any Almond brothers uh, music after Dwayne died. So after that live at the Fillmore East album, I haven't heard, you know, um, I would say Freddie King, uh, Django Reinhardt, who's one of the hippest guitar players ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess all of these guys are, <laughs> um, there was, Oh, Wes Montgomery. Okay. He, who's also a jazz guitar player. And outside of guitar, I mean, obviously the Motown sound that I was around, you know, my whole life. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as the soul part of it, you know, that's definitely Marvin Gaye. I love Marvin Gaye. Yeah. Um, his What's Going On album is one of my most favorite albums of all time. Um, the Beatles, you know. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's, I mean, obviously there's a bunch of other people, but mostly you know, the, the, um, oh, Kurt Cobain and Nirvana. Mm, oh, of course. Um, Cause I mean, as you can see, I listen to everything. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you do. That's um, good though. That's good. Yeah. Wolfgang Beethoven. Um, Amadeus Mozart. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a wide range. Uh, oh, Johnny Cash. Love Johnny Cash. And Bob Marley, of course, you know, reggae. So 
I mean, pretty much I, I listen to everything and I draw inspiration from everything. Well, you can hear that in your music already. Like I said, it, it's not one set type of music, not two songs are exactly the same. So it's a great album. I'm going to put the link to it on, for your website and uh, for the album directly in, in the show links here. I'm going to end this with oh, a little. Thank you, man. Oh, man, it, absolutely. It's a great album. People need to hear it. There's no question about it. Let's end this with a little football talk. I said that I was mad at you a couple minutes ago. I'm going to tell you why. Now, you're born and raised in Detroit. <laughs> I'm a football star. You mentioned it. You were recruited by a ton of schools. You're talking Ohio State, Michigan. You eventually chose LSU. Why did you not choose my favorite school, Notre Dame? It was too close to home. I was trying to get away from my parents. <laughs> All right, man. You could get a pass for that, but only for that reason. <laughs> okay. And I, I guess the other reason, the other reason is because people said, you know, including high school coaches told me that I would not play if I went to LSU. So that made you want and to go I'm even kinda, more. Yeah, I'm kind of stubborn when it comes to that. <laughs> so, uh, you know, success is the best revenge. And, you know, making the LSEC team my senior year was, you know, some good revenge. <laughs> I was going to say, I mean, grudgingly, I got to admit, you probably made the right choice. You go on and you guys won a national championship. What was that experience like winning a national championship? Honestly, it sucked for me because I felt like I didn't have much to do with it, if that makes sense. Um, I can understand that. You know, yeah. I mean, that's that's how I've always felt about it. I mean, it's cool. You know, you have, you know, your national championship trophy and that kind of thing. But, you know, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you know, I mean, I didn't really have much to do with that national championship. Fair enough, No, I'm I sure guess. there are people that would, you know, and I'm sure there's people that would, that would disagree because we all, you know, we had like, you know, short yardage packages, you know, that I would come in. It was called um, elephant personnel. But, uh, so, I mean, I, I guess I helped a little bit, but, you know, in terms of like, you know, being a guy that the team was dependent on and that kind of thing, I don't feel, I feel like they would have won it without me. Well, I mean, dude, maybe, but I'll tell you what, you must've done something right because you go on to become a third round draft pick in 2011 by Oakland. What was that experience like getting drafted into the NFL? Like, did you have any kind of draft party? What what were you doing? Anything? What were you doing when you got that call that you were going to get drafted? Crying on my wife's shoulder because no one had caught me yet. I thought I should have been drafted in the first round. I saw these people that were getting drafted that I felt that I was better than. And I feel like I've proven that in my NFL career. But, um, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, I was pretty sad. And I know, I know people you know, oh, you got drafted. What are you sad about? But yeah, I was pretty sad. So you spent a year in Oakland. That doesn't work out. You end mm -hmm. up, you end up going to to the Rams, and, and you spent, I believe, mm -hmm. three seasons there. What was that experience overall like playing in the, for the Rams? Now they were in St. Louis at the time, correct? Yeah, they were. Right. Mm -hmm. Um. I mean, it's, it's a classy organization, and um, you know, I was fortunate enough to be around great pros like. Guys like Chris Long and Will Hayes and Kendall Langford to kind of show me. I know these are all D linemen, but, uh, you know, to kind mm -hmm. of show me the way as far as, you know, what it takes to be a professional, what it takes to play at a high level, that kind of the camaraderie was great. The city of St. Louis was great. I learned how to play the blues in St. Louis. Yeah, I would um, imagine there's, that. Yeah, there's a man named Jason David Cooper, uh, and he taught me how to play the blues. So you become a free agent in 2015. You sign with the San Diego Chargers. Only a one-year deal. You play well. Mm -hmm. You start all 16 games. And next thing you know, you're rewarded with a four-year extension. Uh, first mm -hmm. of all, you, your experience with uh, 
with the Chargers, you moved to LA. What's it like being in LA now? I've never been to LA. I've always wanted to know, do you love it? Do you hate it? I'm pretty sure you're not going to say that you hate it since you played there, but <laughs> that's probably a pretty, really stupid question now that I think about it after it's no, too late and it's come I mean, out of my mouth. No, I was talking to, I was talking to actually my little brother probably about 30 minutes ago mm-hmm. and we were talking about, um, you know, he felt like the media was, because he works in the media and he was talking about how he felt like the media was adding to, you know, some of the bad things that were happening in the country. And I told him, I said, look, man, at the end of the day, when you're talking about the balance of life, everything's going to have good and bad. And, you know, the secret is just being able to accept it all. You know, I mean, for example, ice cream tastes amazing, but I'm like tossing tolerance. So while it'll taste amazing going in, you know, coming out, it's a whole <laughs> different story. Very you know? true. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, Los Angeles is the same. It's the same way. I mean, I've met some great people. Obviously, the, um, it's going to be great for music and so forth. The traffic jams are abysmal. I mean, it's 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 tragic. How and I really, the longer that I live here, I realize that some people just can't drive. You know, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's that simple. You know, some people just can't drive. But I mean, so yeah. I was going to say that's something I never thought of. Traffic. You playing. I don't want to say small markets because they weren't small cities by any means, but I'm pretty sure nothing is like LA traffic. I sort of know a little bit because I'm from Buffalo. I live most of my life in Buffalo, which is a smaller town. And I've spent the last two years living in Florida and the traffic in Florida is unbearable. And I've bitched about that every now and then. And every time I do, someone says, try living in LA. So I can't even imagine what traffic must be like out there for you. All I'm going to say, I'll say about that is bad traffic is bad traffic. It's like, it's like if you got shot in Florida and it's like, oh, try getting shot in L.A. Like, you're going to get shot. You know? <laughs> you're still shot. The so same thing it? with traffic. Like, yeah, like traffic jams are traffic jams. It just sucks. You know, there's no there's no way around it. It just sucks, you know. But at the same time, some good things about traffic jams is, you know, you get to listen to some tunes. Um, you know, you get to call people that, you know, people that have been on your mind or whatever, you can, you know, call and have a conversation because you got time. You can think to yourself, you know, whatever you want to do. It's just about making the best out of whatever situation that you're in at the current moment because nothing lasts forever, including traffic jams. <laughs> Why did you guys have to go out last year and embarrass the living shit out of my Buffalo Bills? I mean, that game was one of the bigger disasters from a Buffalo Bills standpoint I could ever remember seeing. You guys kill my boy Nate Peterman's career before it even got started. Dude, that was Joey Bosa. I mean, I don't. That was Joey Bosa. Oh. Um, I think every pick that he threw, that that quarterback threw, Bosa was like a split second away from getting to him. I love Joey Bosa. He's like one of the coolest guys ever. It was crazy. I mean, you guys obviously have a fierce pass rush, and Tyrod gets benched. You know, he had three straight bad games in Buffalo, and we go mm-hmm. out and we play LA, and I'm like. Man, you know what? That ain't the right game to be putting a fifth-round rookie into for his first NFL start. And sure enough, it lasted a half. That was ugly. Not fun. Here's a secret about the NFL. What's that? Not everyone that makes decisions knows what they're doing. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure people that are listening, you know, they can relate in their jobs. Not everyone that's in a position of power anywhere knows what they're doing. And I think that's you know, one of the misconceptions when it comes to uh, people's jobs and so forth. I mean, because I think sometimes we look at, you know, different corporations or different organizations and we think, oh, you know, this place, this organization, you know, has this kind of success and all that other kind of stuff. But 
I mean, everyone's susceptible to failure. Sure. Relatively quiet season for the Chargers, but you guys did sound you did sign Mike Pouncey. What's your thoughts on him joining that offensive line that you're a part of? Ironically, I trained with him um, when I was getting ready for the combine. He's really? a cool guy. Obviously, he's an athlete. Um, and I think he's going to be good for us. Um, you know, I, yeah, I think he's going to be good for us. All right, last question. You guys went 9-7 and seven last year, but missed the playoffs. Ultimately, you mm-hmm. were doomed by that 0-4 start. You guys did win mm-hmm. six of the last seven, but it wasn't enough in the end. How close do you feel like you guys are to putting it all together and having that type of team that can not just make the playoffs, but make a deep run? Honestly, man, I think we're pretty close. Um, I mean, like you said, you know, I mean, even when it comes to uh, us, I mean, even when it came to us not making the playoffs last season, I mean, we controlled what we could control. I think what it's going to come down to, honestly, um, this year is just, you know, how quickly can we get back to that team that we were at the end of last year, if that makes sense. Sure. Because that's that's what it's about, really. I mean, you could – and, I mean, you see it in the league all the time. The exact same team sometimes will come back and be abysmal the next season or vice versa. The exact same team will come back and, you know, kick ass the next season. I think it depends on – um like I said, how guys are going to approach it. And, you know, and I wouldn't, I won't even say it starts with OTAs. It started, you know, maybe, uh, you know, started at the beginning of April or, you know, whenever guys went back to working out, that's when it starts because everything that you do matters. And, you know, if we can, can if we could continue to be the hard, the hard work and, you know, keep your head down and keep chopping the team that we were last season, we should be fine. So the challenge is going to be, staying out of the media, you know, not listening to what people are speculating because at the end of the day, speculation is not fact. So, um, you know, keeping a level head and, you know, keep working, keep getting better, keep grinding together and, you know, keep continuing to gel as a team. And, you know, I think we'll get where we want to go. All right, Joe, listen, guys, go to his website, josephbarkdale.com and purchase butterfly rainbow and moonbeams for just nine ninety nine. I'm telling you now it's money very well spent. Joe, man, I really appreciate your time. Best of luck to you, not just in football, unless you're playing the Bills, but in life, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to say that. I'm so- oh, no, I understand. I understand it completely. Seriously, though, best of luck to you in football. I love your music. Best of luck to you in music. It's seen something that you're really passionate about. And good luck, man, just in life. Keep on rocking and keep being that advocate for those out there who are suffering from mental health problems and need it. I think the world needs more people like you who aren't afraid to bring those issues to the forefront. So keep on doing what you're doing, man. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. And for those of you guys listening, I don't know before it's all said and done, I will be known as one of the greatest guitarists or actually musicians of my generation. I hope so. And I'll get to say that I interviewed you as you, as you've just started that journey towards greatness. So good for me. There you too. go. It's like I was there at the ground level. That's right, man. That's right. <laughs> all right, Joe. Thanks, man. Have a great one. Thank you. You too, brother. Peace. You just made the list. Barack Leister. Michael Cole. Shut up. The house that AJ Styles built. This is my yard now. I liked having him on so much last week. 
I said, you know what? I got to bring him back for round two. I mean, it's WrestleMania week. How the hell could I not? I'm joined by ABC7, Fox 22, and Bangor Main Sports Director, and the co-host of the Living the Gimmick podcast, John Elba again. Dude, what's up, man? How you doing? Uh, it's been whirlwind, man. So much, so much wrestling over the course of the past week, and then in this next week, it's just going to be insane. You know what? You do the indie wrestling thing out in your neck of the woods, don't you? Uh, you you're I a heel, do. right? You're a heel. I am very much a heel. So I, I uh, how do you like being? I a won heel? an M- I love it. I won an Emmy award in real life, and uh, you know most normal people when they win an Emmy, they put it in their like trophy case or something like that. They put it in their office. I said, you know what? Let's use this for heat, and we're gonna we're gonna become a jerk. And that's exactly what I did. And I'll tell you, man, it is it is so much fun. And I worked an unbelievable show this past week at, at Limitless Wrestling featuring probably between five to ten people who are going to be in WWE within the next three to four years. So it was really just a fantastic show. And uh, it's such a blast, even though I ended up uh, getting smushed in the corner. That's okay. <laughs> You know what? If, if if I was involved, I would totally want to be a heel too. So got to be so much more oh, fun than being a face. It is, and and like I, I I in a few other promotions, I I'm a baby face, and and it's it's fun, and and it's nice having people like you, but it's also so much fun just just stroking that fire, man, and and really digging into people, and and the one thing you always have to remember about being a good heel is that a good heel always gets their comeuppance in the end, right. and. Hey, that's a sacrifice I'm willing to take. <laughs> <laughs> so are you ready for a memorable weekend of professional wrestling or what? I know you just said you had a crazy week. You ready for you ready for the big time now? Look, this year's WrestleMania will be as long as a school day. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Plus, you're adding NXT and everything else going on in New Orleans, all the other big shows, Supercard of Honor, all that stuff. It's going to be awesome. Let's dive into some of these matches here. I'll lay them out, and then I'm going to kind of throw it back to you for your thoughts. You mentioned last week during the podcast that if it, you were booking, that you would not have John Cena and The Undertaker in the same ring at the same time for a face-off, that you would save it for WrestleMania. I mean, not only did that happen, WWE, they took that shit one step further. There was no Undertaker at all. No physical Undertaker, no spiritual Undertaker, no Undertaker size, nothing. At this point, I mean, obviously it's going to be at WrestleMania Sunday, but if they end up having a match, now it's not advertised it's going to be an impromptu match or maybe the taker just comes out and beats Cena's ass or something. I don't know. What do you see going down when it comes to that on Sunday? You know, we talked about this on our show today, and, and I think there's probably about a 70% chance of a match. It's so strange because Vince McMahon is the ultimate promoter and, like, historically speaking – Something like this would never happen. But this year's card is so loaded, and you can afford the opportunity to try something different. It's strange. It's definitely strange. Um, I suspect that we'll still get this match, but I also see a scenario where there's an in-ring segment where The Undertaker shows up, and we get this build towards WrestleMania 35 rather than this year. And, you know, I think some people would argue that the build to this has been less than spectacular. 
there's definitely people who haven't been into it and don't feel it's a genuine build. Well, guess what? If you have a year to build this thing, make it as big as you possibly can, career versus career, something like that. Put all the stakes on the line and start selling your show a year from then. We've already seen it done once with the Rock and John Cena. Who's to say they won't do it again? Yeah, that was with great success, too. Definitely. Uh, yeah, it was the it was uh, the the first John Cena and Rock match, which was built off the year long build, was the highest grossing WrestleMania of all time, and that's not surprising given the amount of promotion put into that one match alone. Well, speaking of promotions, I've never been sold on the promos, and I'm leaving this at promos for Oscar and Charlotte. They just haven't been very entertaining, entertaining at all for that matter. Hmm. But you know what? Who cares? Because first of all, obviously Oscar can barely speak the language. So, you know, she's not going to ever deliver a really good promo. And I guess you got to leave it to the ring. And that's what I mean by who cares? Because you know what? Come Sunday, I got a feeling that these two are going to absolutely blow the roof off the Superdome. You, I think you mentioned this last week too. This might be the match of the night by the time it's all said and done. Got a chance. Uh, you know, I, I'm not going to be too upset about the promos because I think with Oscar in particular, especially the less she says, the better. Uh, her her charisma is off the charts, and the more she she does with her movements and and what she does in the ring and the limited talking uh, sells things a little more. But I thought they did a nice job this week in in selling this a little more, where she was doing her whole nobody's ready for Oscar, and Charlotte says, "Well, you're not ready for me," and they had the uh, mixed match challenge thing later on in the night where the two of them, they only locked up for a couple of minutes, but man, it was really good when they did. So I suspect this will be a great match. And, you know, if we're throwing predictions out there, uh, one would have to think that Oscar wins this, but there's always that wild card of Carmella out there with money in the bank, which they teased once again this week. I don't see Carmella beating Oscar per se, but who knows? Maybe there's a scenario where they do the whole Seth Rollins route from a few years ago and, Oscar doesn't have to take a pin or technically lose uh, if they wanted to do something sneaky that way, but I'm not so sure that would be the right route. That's one of maybe two matches where I just, from a, from a wrestling Mark standpoint, I just cannot wait to see it. And then the other one, of course, is AJ and Nakamura. The buildup for me anyway has been so, so, even though I know we're going to all see a sensational match on Sunday, I did this week on SmackDown, though. I did like AJ using a little bit of that psychology to get the upper hand on, on Shinsuke. You know, when he, mm. when he was going to, he feigned the, the phenomenal forearm at the end. And it kind of had uh, Nakamura get a little angry at SmackDown one at the year. I kind of liked that little bit of psychology there. It was like, all right, well, now finally AJ's got the upper hand. I thought the story told the last two weeks between these two was just fantastic. And I think I mentioned that to you last week. I thought it was great what they did with Nakamura saying that Styles gets too emotional and all that stuff. Then this week, they reverse it. He does the same thing to Nakamura, and then Nakamura's the one getting emotional. I thought this was really fantastically well done between two baby faces, which is not an easy program to sell when all is said and done. And the match will speak for itself. I'll ask you this. I put the over-under at 33 minutes for this match. What do you think? I would say under only because of the sheer volume of matches. But then again, you said it right. This is going to be like, you a, got like seven <laughs> hours on the show. So. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, you said it. It's going to be like a school day. So I don't know. I wouldn't feel good about betting either of those. Let me ask you this. Throw it back to you one more time on this. Pick a winner Sunday. Who do you got? 
Yeah, I mean, my gut tells me that Shinsuke Nakamura needs this win more than AJ Styles does. But if you're going to go with a bit of a character change with AJ Styles, it would kind of make sense for him to uh, win this. Uh, I, I think if I really had to put my back to the wall, I'm, I'm going with Shinsuke Nakamura, though. But I could see a scenario where either guy wins. We got a tag team match. Shane McMahon and Daniel Bryan. Kevin uh, yeah. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. I don't know, man. I, I get the sense in my gut from what I saw Tuesday. Maybe it's years of watching TV. Maybe I'm fooling myself. I easily could be fooling myself here, but I just got this oh, this gut feeling. I might see a heel I might see a heel turn from one of the good guys on Sunday. If so, probably yeah. Shane, but you never know. Maybe it's not a heel turn, maybe a loss where they blame each other and that turns into some kind of feud going forward. I don't know. I let me know what you think, but did you sense anything Tuesday that maybe said that? I no, I think I think there's definitely merit to what you're saying uh, with the turn. I mean, look at it this way: there's there's two routes you can go. You can have it just be totally clean and then win, and it's totally fine and it makes sense in the context of the story, and you move on from there. Or you have Shane McMahon turn heel, and if Shane McMahon turns heel, here we are again. This story that's all this time that has worked a million times in wrestling where Daniel Bryan is the underdog going against the authority. It's a story right. that's been told a million times, but it's worked so many times. And it's the perfect role for Daniel Bryan too. And it doesn't, it means that he doesn't have to be right in the championship picture right away. Uh, it's certainly something that you could do. No doubt about it. Am I convinced that's going to be the route? Not so sure. The wording of the match itself has Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens losing and, and, then they could show up on Monday Night Raw, for example, because it doesn't say fired from WWE, just fired from SmackDown Live. Uh, so you could go that route. But uh, I think you're certainly on to something, and it feels to me like a Shane McMahon turn would be uh, welcomed in terms of change for SmackDown. It would help alleviate those uh, that GM role from Daniel Bryan, and uh, we could see where they go from there. You know, it uh, should be pretty interesting. And I just, I, Daniel Bryan taking a pin or tapping out or it's just that's not the right call so one of the two yeah we'll see i don't i just like i said it's just it's just a little gut feeling i have right now turning to the tag team on raw got ron and kurt against triple h and stephanie i think it's pretty obvious at the end of this match stephanie's probably going to end up eating a pin Actually, i shouldn't say eating a pin she's probably going to tap out to ronda i wasn't yeah. i wasn't a fan of how this was handled from the good guy side i loved and you've talked about this last week I've loved the Triple H and Stephanie promos two weeks ago and this week, Monday on Raw. Loved it a lot, but I don't know. Kurt Angle feels like a complete afterthought to me when it comes to this. He's a guy who just went in the Hall of Fame last year. And as for Ronda Rousey, uh, the smiling, man, I, I, I just don't like it. If, if I wasn't yeah. sure before I am now, I, she needs Paul Heyman when this is over and done with. I think badly. Yeah, I mean, you're not entirely wrong on that, that's for sure. I, I This was a strange segment on Raw, but a good ending with Stephanie putting Ronda through the table, even though Ronda, instead of selling, she almost, uh, you know, like when, when the parent wakes up the kid and they're like, come on, get out of bed. And the kid's like, exactly. yeah, that's the look that, that's the look that Ronda was given uh, last night selling from the table. But uh I would think Ronda and Kurt win this, and I would think, I mean, definitely Stephanie tapping, but I would go a step further, and I would do the whole double submission with Kurt 
having Triple H in the ankle lock at the same time, too, to give you that WrestleMania moment, that, that visual, to have both of them tapping at the same time and having the authority get what they had coming. Like I said, a good heel has to get their comeuppance in the end. Yeah, I, for, I forgot to mention in that. Were you a little taken back? Stephanie came at Ronda pretty hard. I mean, she mentioned about how you know, we all know how you handle losing. I was like, damn. <laughs> she came pretty hard at her. It was a good line. and The, the Ronda line I really liked, but she, she didn't get it out cleanly where she was asking her what arm she, she if she's a righty or if she's a lefty. Yeah. And then, of course, Stephanie has to get heat with lefties because she's like, duh, I'm a righty. <laughs> and she just has to put down lefties. So I thought that was a good line, but Ronda kind of let the moment get the best of her there. Yeah, I'm sure it's a little bit of nerves and, you know, just a lack of experience, but her timing with, yeah. with, with, with her voices in there. Yeah, like when she called Stephanie out, to wrestle or WrestleMania. Like she jumped the gun a little bit. You know what I mean? The, that suspense didn't get yeah. to build up in the ring. She'll learn. Now I mentioned Paul Heyman. We had nice physicality between Brock and Reigns to end Raw on Monday. Fans were happy. I was. I think everyone knows Reigns is probably going over on Sunday. You know, it's a case, I guess, or a question I should say. Do you think Brock drops it clean? Or do you think maybe there's some kind of screwy ending? Possibly Heyman and Roman get together for a turn. Or do you just see a clean pin? Because I don't, I don't think anyone thinks Brock's going to win this. No, I don't think so either. And, I mean, he's not going to win it. Roman Reigns will win it. How he wins is the big question. Uh, you know, the long-term plan has, just, has been for this to be the coronation of Roman Reigns. But you can't say you're not tempted by a Roman Reigns and Paul Heyman pairing, right? Right. I mean, it's, it's totally something that's tempting out there. My gut tells me this is just a Roman Reigns clean win over Brock Lesnar and maybe even Paul Heyman gets take, takes a takes a bump here. And that's that. And that's just my thought. And they run with Samoa Joe and Roman Reigns from there. But uh, we'll see, man. We will see. It's, uh, gut says that it's no more than a clean win. But who knows? I'm more worried about the reactions because you got a good reaction for Roman Reigns this week. But let's be real. This is the WrestleMania crowd. They're not going to be cheering him. And the way this feud has been built, you're supposed to hate Brock Lesnar. They're pointing out how much of a jerk he is and how he doesn't care about anyone there. So he might get booed, and maybe you're not quite as bad as 2004's WrestleMania, but maybe you're in a similar situation where just everyone's everyone's booing. I mean, it it could happen. And you know what? With The Undertaker either not wrestling, we don't know what's going to happen. That might have been the only thing I could have saw be in the main event. Now with that out the window, are we looking at Roman Reigns and Brock closing the show for sure? I'd feel pretty confident about that. Okay. Seth Rollins wrestled Finn Balor on Monday night. It's one of the best matches I've seen in a while. That was a, that, to me, that was a, like a five-star match. I thought it stole the show easily. You had them too. When you had Miz on Sunday, maybe they, maybe they create that magic again. If they do, that's going to be an awesome match. What do you see happening in there? I mean, it feels to me like semi-obvious that Finn's going to get the win, but that's not a lock. What do you see happening in that match on Sunday? I mean, I totally see a scenario where Miz can win and retain, but I, I think I am, am with you. I think Finn Balor needs that title more than anyone right now. Uh, there needs to be something going on with this Balor character that's kind of just treading water right now. They had a hell of a bout on Monday Night Raw. And yeah, the Miz there, uh, you know, adding a different dynamic on Sunday. There's no reason to think it, it won't be a great match, and uh, I think it will, and 
you know, it's one of those matches that you could have open the show. I, I think personally that the Shane McMahon and Brian match will open the show, but uh, it's certainly one you could put out there to be a crowd heater and get people into it. And I think we'll be talking about that match as one of the best matches of the night. Let's fly through the rest of this card a little bit. We both think Nia Jax is going to destroy Alexa Bliss rather quickly. I don't really think either of us have much to add to that at this point. Talk about the U.S. title match. Did they do the right thing? Did they put the strap on Rusev? Are they going to piss us off and have someone else win? And, and, and by the way, I think when this is over, Randy Orton and Rude, they both need to go to Raw with this coming roster shakeup because I could care less about either of them right now. I don't like Rude as a face. And I mentioned this last week. Randy Orton, it's just, he's semi-checked out to me. Maybe it's just me, but that's how I feel about it. What do you think about this match? Yeah, I think it's time for Bobby Roode. I don't think he needs to go to Raw, but I think he needs to go heel. Uh, listening to him on commentary, I certainly felt that way, too. Yeah, I didn't like it. Uh, I mean, Rusev's the hot hand, no doubt about it, and normally you run with the hot hand, but my gut tells me Randy Orton wins this match, and I, I can tell you, if anyone but Rusev wins, the Superdome ain't going to be too happy. No. Nope. So it's, that match is doomed to fail unless Rusev wins that match. Hopefully, for the sake of these four guys, who are all talented. They can have a great match and, and, you know, let it come to fruition how it may. But uh, that crowd is, you're going to have 70,000 strong on Rusev's corner there. So it's going to be quite the sight. He might get one of the biggest pops of the whole night. Oh, yeah. No questions asked. And who would have thought just, you know, putting frickin' in an English with Rusev would change his fortunes? The SmackDown tag team match. Dude, I hated that WWE Network commercial-style promo that they just had on Tuesday. It was stupid. Come on. This could be a great match. Why do that? I agree. It was the worst thing that was on television this week. It was, uh, you know, if it was just the New Day, you could have gone away with it. But making the Bludgeon Brothers, who you've been trying to make this badass tag team, do something so stupid and not build towards a quality program, which it has been a quality program, not building towards that. That was a poor call uh, without a doubt, but it should be a great match if they're given the time to work. Uh, my gut tells me the Usos retain here, uh, that the Bludgeon Brothers can afford the loss here because it's a triple threat, so they might not take the fall, but eventually the Bludgeon Brothers within the next month and a half should probably take those titles. It felt like 1986 to me all over again with that kind of that kind of promo. Yeah. I, I just, I hokey. don't know. It was hokey. It, very hokey. All right, last week we got no answer from him. This week we got no answer from him. So we don't have any more weeks to to get clues here. So let's take a guess here. Who is going to be Braun Strowman's partner come Sunday? I feel pretty confident it's going to be Big Show. Uh, I have felt that from the start, and I feel pretty confident still, especially with the word coming down that Big Show has re-signed with them. Uh, so I, I suspect it will be him. Are there a couple other guys you could be sure? It could be a Samoa Joe. It could be a Rey Mysterio. Uh, but I suspect that it will be Big Show, and I do think they, they will win and get a short little run. I'm going to go with the underdog here. I got Ellsworth returning for one night. You got James Ellsworth. Okay. You know who he's tag team partners with right now in the Indies? Gilbert. <laughs> I love it. How about that? <laughs> I couldn't tell you the first thing about this, so... I'll, I'll throw this completely to you. The Cruiserweight title match, Cedric Alexander, Mustafa Ali, 
It's probably going to be on the pre-show. What do you think of that match? It is on the pre-show. It is on the pre-show. The three pre-show matches are the Women's Battle Royal, the Cruiserweight Championship, and the Men's Battle Royal. Um, I think this is going to be an outstanding match. 205 Live has been so, so good over the course of the past month and a half or so, ever since they started this Cruiserweight tournament. And Cedric Alexander and Mustafa Ali are two of the most talented wrestlers they have. And I think these guys are just going to have a fantastic, fantastic showing. And they'll be in a good spot where they'll be set up for success. And I think this will be a great match. And I'm going to go with Cedric Alexander. Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. I mean, I don't know whoever wins it. Are they going to have the same success that Mojo Riley's had since? Yeah, I hope not. It's a total crapshoot. Uh, but you know what? They had a fun little segment with Matt Hardy, and let's let's go with Matt Hardy. Why don't we? Women's Battle Royal pick. Who do you got there? Uh, I was talking about this today on our show. I think uh, I think Ember Moon is going to probably lose the NXT Championship uh, the night before, so I'll say she gets this. If not, if it's a main roster person, I'll go with Becky Lynch. Oh, one last thing. Sure. We we know we know Elias is coming to the ring. He's singing. We know someone's going to interrupt his ass while he's playing that guitar in the ring. Who do you got? I mean, it's got to be Stone Cold Steve Austin, right? Yeah, well, you know, my gut initially would have said to me The Rock because The Rock used to do all those rock concerts and it it would have fit right in perfectly. But uh, Sports Illustrated says right now The Rock's not scheduled for the show. So that could change, obviously. Uh, That's who I would have had interrupted. But keep in mind, you also have Jeff Jarrett going into the Hall of Fame this year. So you got an easy with my baby tonight if you want to go that route. And uh, who knows, man? Who knows? I, I My gut tells me if it's a legend, it would be The Rock, not Stone Cold Steve Austin. I'd love to see The Rock. I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't see him coming back not advertised. Although, it, it could be a surprise. Yeah, he's done it before. He's done it before at WrestleMania. That's true. That so. is true. All right, John. Thanks again for joining. Follow him on Twitter at John Alba. There you can get all the lowdown on all the fun wrestling stuff he's involved in. Teach me how to be a heel. I want to be a heel. I want to go to Maine. I want to go to a wrestling show and I want to be a heel. I want to get my ass beat and have the fans cheer for it. Step one is refer to all the listeners of this podcast as you people. And that'll be a good start. (laughs) I like that. You people. All right, John, have a good one, buddy. Thanks again. Thank you. And that's the bottom line. Before I put a wrap on the show, just wanted to give a quick shout out to the New York Yankees who improved a 4-2 on the season with a 7-2 victory over Tampa Bay on Wednesday. Is it Tampa Bay or is it Tampa? Does it really fucking matter? It doesn't matter. Yanks won 7-2. Luis Severino looks like an ace, a legitimate ace through his first two starts. And it was good for the Yanks to flex a little muscle today. Stan and Judge and Sanchez all going deep. Much needed, especially for Sanchez. Dude's only hitting 0.87 this year. And Stanton struck out five times yesterday, or I should say Tuesday, at the stadium and got booed. Struck out three more times on Wednesday, but at least he jacked one out. Aaron Judge looks all right. Of course, right now this is Didi's team. Doesn't really matter whose team it is. They're 4-2 after one week. I'll take that every day with a brand new manager. And also, I wanted to give one more shout-out and that's to the Buffalo Sabres for being a complete and utter disgrace, clinching last place in the NHL at home on their final home game against the almost but not quite as lowly as you, Ottawa Senators. Congratulations, Buffalo. 
You are truly the worst of the worst. Tank, no tank, it really doesn't matter. You are just a dysfunctional, shitty, train wreck of an organization. Maybe it'll change over the next year or two, but I see no end in sight. When it comes to being the worst of the worst, the Buffalo Sabres are geniuses. All right, that's the show for today. Big, big thanks to Chargers offensive tackle Joe Barksdale for coming on and sharing some of his very personal story with us and also talking football and his music career that's starting to take off. Be sure to pick up his album on his website and I'll drop a link to that in our show notes below. I also want to give big thanks to John Alba for coming on the show again, this time for a second straight Thursday to run down this WrestleMania card with me. WrestleMania, of course, airs on Sunday. And speaking of WrestleMania, on Monday's podcast, I'll be having a full recap of Sunday's show, and my guest will be Rich Fan, host of the Deep Dive with Rich Fan show that airs on PW Torch Livecast every Saturday at 6 p.m. Rich is going to be in New Orleans for the event, and we're going to hook up for a very late Sunday night conversation recapping the event and everything that went down over the weekend. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review, and follow me on Twitter at PabaranTweets. Have a great weekend, everyone. Stay safe. And what you're listening to right now, what we're taking you out to today, is another track off Joel's album. This one's called The Stumble. I love this beat. It's something cool that you can really vibe out to. All right, guys. Talk to you all Monday. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.